Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show, where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time, we set foot in the land of Israel and drove to Samuel's tomb on the outskirts of Jerusalem. We also were able to look out into the city from the top of Samuel's tomb and get our first glimpse at the land of Israel and just how dry it is and some of the mountainous ranges as well. We also went to our hostel in the heart of Jerusalem and got a little bit of an inside look at what hostel life is, is like. We also walked around on that nice evening walk. We saw the light rail system. We saw some Jewish families and continued to explore Jewish culture, which we've done from episode one on the plane ride over. And we also learned about how safe Israel actually is, as I shared that personal story. Well, good morning. Hopefully you had a good rest. It's time to get up and get ready. I know jet lag is probably hitting you hard, and that is that is normal. The second, the third day are specifically very challenging days when it comes to jet lag. But it's important that we get up, we get moving, and we'll beat it. I promise. We're going to start the morning with breakfast in our hostel, like I promised, so there's going to be a selection of cheeses and meats and salads. Again, not those nice American salads, but Israeli salads, such as plain romaine lettuce or maybe onions and cucumbers and tomatoes dressed with some oil. It's delicious. Make sure you eat enough so that you're ready to take on the day, but also not too much where you're not feeling great because it's going to be a long one. If you want a drink, follow me over here. You're going to see that there's water, there's also orange juice, and there's lemon water, which is kind of like lemonade. All of it's in Hebrew. Uh, that has the description of what exactly you can get to drink, so it's a little confusing if you can't read Hebrew. Now we're going to sit down to eat before we start our day. Meet people at the hostel. I cannot tell you how many cool people I've been able to meet at hostels over the years. Uh, just to be able to sit with them and eat with them and hear their story. It really is an awesome experience. Okay, now that you're finished eating, let's go to the sink. And as I promised, we have to wash out the plate, the cup, the silverware. We have to dry it and put away uh, because that's hostile life. You don't have someone doing it for you. It's a little different, but it's a great time. I think you'll discover that as we stay here. Now, you may have never been to Israel before, so I'm just going to reiterate what you actually need for a day of touring. It's really important you have water. We are in the desert. We're in the Middle East. And if you would look at the Middle East on a map, you would see that it's all, there, there's nothing green, right? It's, it's just complete desert. So you need to make sure you bring plenty of water and don't get dehydrated, especially because we just got off the plane a little bit ago. Water is crucial. You also want to bring a hat, one for sun protection. We're in the desert. We're right uh, where the sun's shining down on us. But also for men as a kippah, which we talked about last time, is that head covering that Jewish men wear in order to, uh, to just show respect for God and his presence on top of us. And of course, men, when we're going into holy sites, even if you're not Jewish, need to show respect for Judaism and, and the culture here by wearing a head covering. So today, when we're at the Western Wall, it's important that you have a hat uh, that functions as that kippah. And of course, ladies, bring it too, because it is great sun protection. I'd also encourage you to bring sunscreen and also maybe a sun jacket. I always bring a sun jacket for two reasons. One, it helps me not get sunburned. But two, ladies, Jewish women actually uh, cover, cover themselves from their elbow to their knees. So capris are great for time in Israel to show respect for the culture, but also a lot of times we don't have uh, shirts that are going down to our elbows. So you can solve that when we're going into a holier site or, or a holy site in and of itself by just wearing uh, a sun jacket. So that, that's a really uh, a good thing to bring along. 
Also, I'd encourage you to make sure to bring your phone, maybe a portable charger if you want for those pictures, and some snacks. See, whenever I go to Israel with my family, we actually uh, want to pack as much into a day as we possibly can. So we don't actually stop for lunch. It's because lunch takes um, about two hours by the time you get there, you eat, um, and then you get back on the bus. It, it's a quite a detour that we don't necessarily realize to begin with. So my family, we just bring snacks along and we eat snacks in the car and we just continue right along and we get more, uh, more bang for our buck, you could say, uh, in the day. So that's what we're going to be doing here, except today we actually might stop because we'll be in Jerusalem. So we might stop for lunch. You might get lucky. Who knows? Okay, go back, get that stuff that I just told you, and we're going to meet in the lobby in 10 minutes. Okay. So today we're going to walk down to Jaffa Street. We're going to take a similar route uh, to last time. This time we're just going to go a little farther down Jaffa Street because we're actually going to go into the old city of Jerusalem itself. Uh, there's a busy street that we have to cross, so I need you to stick close to me. I also need you to make sure that you have your eyes on the traffic signals uh, so that we know when we as pedestrians can cross. Just a quick PSA. Okay, so as we're walking down this path to the old city, you may start to recognize some of the walls uh, from pictures that you might have seen of Jerusalem. See, there are technically eight gates from which you can enter Jerusalem. Um, however, the Golden Gate, the Eastern Gate, as it's sometimes called, is sealed. And that's because the Jews believe that their Messiah is going to come and enter the Temple Mount through that gate. But until then, it's sealed. So technically, there are eight, but really in real life, what gates you can walk through, there are seven. So today, we're going to be entering the Jaffa Gate. It's perfect, right? We're going right down Jaffa Street through the Jaffa Gate. Now, this gate is not anything like you would see in the United States in those Southern Living magazines where there are nice gates and they have, you know, uh, different plants all over them. No, this is a tall, tall concrete structure. Um, that's the definition of the gate that we're going to see here that's joined along to the various walls on the outskirts of the old city of Jerusalem. Now, right in front of the gate, you're going to see some of these vendors. They're going to be selling breads and such. Now, there's one bread I really want you to try. It is so good. It's called the Jerusalem Bagel. It's uh, 10 shekels for two of these oblong uh, kind of loaves, you could say, I guess. That's about $3. You know, Israeli currency, we measure that in shekels, and one shekel is about 30 U.S. dollars, or 30 cents, rather. Uh, so you're thinking about it, you're paying 10 shekels for these two oblong pieces of bread, that's about $3. Now, there's something I want you to do with this bread. It's amazing, it's covered in sesame seeds that are toasted, it has a hint of sweetness. But notice that the vendor gave us a little packet of some spices that we got with the bread. It's called za'atar. It's a spice blend that's really popular in the Middle East. It's delicious. Oh, my goodness. It's made of herbs, salt, toasted and ground sesame seeds. And it's just all crumpled up into this little packet. Tear off a piece of that bread and dip it in the slightly weird-looking green spice packet. Your taste buds will thank you. Okay, let's head in through the Jaffa Gate. Now, the first thing you might notice that, at least I noticed it when I first went there, was this black scroll-looking fixture around the side of the gate. And that's actually called a mezuzah. See, the mezuzah is something that Jewish people do, and it comes from Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. Let me read it to you, and then when you have that context, I'll explain what a mezuzah actually is. Deuteronomy 6 reads, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
So in Judaism, anytime there's a doorway uh, to a house or even a, even a gate, like in a large public space, space right in the middle of Jerusalem, like we have here at Jaffa Gate, there's going to be a mezuzah. The mezuzah is this fixture with a little piece of parchment inside, and that parchment has the Shema, has Deuteronomy 6 on it, as well as, I believe, a, a passage from Deuteronomy 11. So these parchment pieces are not just randomly printed off pieces of parchment with, with the Shema on it. It's actually especially uh, prepared by a Torah scribe so that it is kosher. So what does that mean? Well, it means that there's someone special who actually handwrites every single letter and then folds it up and puts it inside of the mezuzah there. This is called a Torah scribe, and Torah scribes are people who actually copy the entirety of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, for Jewish synagogues and for people who, who want the authentic Torah scroll. We actually have a friend in Israel, a tour guide Aaron, who's a certified, authentic, real Israeli tour guide and is Jewish, and he is a, tour, uh, a Torah scribe himself. We've actually gotten to see him do some of his work. It is super cool. Now, the Jews, they actually touch their mezuzah and they kiss their fingers then as they're going through the gate or as they're going to the doorway of their house. It's a good reminder of God. There are a lot of things in, in Jewish culture that help them to remind uh, themselves of God and who he is, just like the kippah they wear on their head, right? We learned about that last week and how they wear the kippah in order to remember God's presence on top of them. Ultimately, the mezuzah helps them do what God commanded, remember his words. There are a lot of things in Judaism that I think that we should, as American Christians, uh, or, or Christians in general, take into consideration. My family actually likes the mezuzah tradition so much that we all bought mezuzahs and we put them in our house. And I actually have one when I'm going into my room at home when I'm not here at Hillsdale. You know, it helps me remember. It helps me remember God and what he's done. And anytime we can remember God during the day, I think that's important. Jewish tradition really can apply to Gentiles today, and like I said, it's a good thing to remember God. Maybe something that you can incorporate into your own life. I'd love to hear about it. Okay, so let's walk in through the Jaffa Gate. We come in, and you might be overwhelmed. You know, the first thing that most people notice is the sheer amount of people, and then the next thing they notice is the market, which is straight in front of us. And you also see this fortress structure over to the right. Now, that's the Tower of David. In the 5th century, uh, people actually started calling it the Palace of King David. There's another place a little farther down from here we're going to visit next time, which is called the City of David, and that actually has more evidence for, uh, for being David's palace itself. I do not think that the Tower of David we can consider to be David's palace, but it is a cool structure nonetheless. You know, many people groups actually use this place. We had King Herod building an extra fortification inside the city wall of Jerusalem uh, using the Tower of David. We had the Crusaders and the Ottomans also using it. So it's been something that has been crucial in, in terms of history. And it's a really cool place. So we'll definitely stop in there. Some other time we're going to tour the fortress. We're going to also look at the museum. For now, let's walk through the market right here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. You know, it is crowded. There are vendors on each side selling all kinds of different things. Sometimes motorcycles, bikes, even cars uh, will come through and you have to get out of the way. Uh, they do not wait for you is the best way to put that. So stick close. We've had a lot of close calls on the market trips with my family. It's easy to get separated and then to get lost. You know, I think nowadays my family would know their way around uh, Jerusalem specifically. So even my six-year-old brother, I feel like if he got lost in the market, he could make his way back to our house in Jerusalem. Not optimal, but it's good. So until you get used to Jerusalem and you understand the market, which has so many different turns and 
and all kinds of little areas you can get lost, make sure you stick with someone who knows where they're going. So the market here in the old city of Jerusalem actually has four quarters. There's the Jewish, the Christian, the Muslim, and the Armenian quarters. So the Muslim quarter, that's the largest quarter in the old city of Jerusalem, and we're actually going to walk through it uh, to get to the western wall. So at this point, you're probably smelling all kinds of different smells from leather to spices to cooking meat. And that is all part of walking through the market. Really, any quarter you go to, uh, you're going to get all kinds of different senses. It might be a little different. You might smell one thing and, and, and get one sense activated in, in one quarter, another sense activated in another quarter. But it's all part of the experience. You know, one of my favorite things about the market that we don't get to do in the, in the United States is bargain. See, here in Israel, and in a lot of places in the world besides the United States, the vendors actually want you to bargain with them, and they look at tourists who don't bargain with them as weak. See, in an American store, let's take Walmart, for example. You go into Walmart, and you see a loaf of bread for $3, and you're paying $3 for that loaf of bread. There's no getting around that, right? You go up, you scan the barcode, $3. But in, uh, in other countries you can actually go and try to bargain with them and get the price lower. See, if, if an item says it's 10 shekels, ask the vendor if they take seven. And then maybe you bargain a 10 shekel item down to eight shekel. It's all part of the fun. I, I've bargained a lot. And it's something that I was really, I guess, scared of, you could say, the first time I went. But now it's actually kind of fun. And I miss it when I'm not in Israel. One summer I came back from Israel and then left for Italy uh, with Hillsdale College, actually. And some friends I was with on the trip um, they were they were wanting to buy something in a little side store. And so I ended up bargaining with the owner of the store and saved my one friend about a dollar just from bargaining. It's kind of funny. Even my siblings uh, are good at bargaining now, even the younger ones. We all will maybe go out and get dinner, uh, dinner ingredients that my parents need. We'll separate into groups, right? Israel's very safe, and it's actually always a bit of competition we have between the different groups that went out and set out to, to come back and see how much we paid for something and how much we were able to get, uh, get a bargain down and who got the best deals. You know, I know it's tempting to stop and get your souvenirs, but we will do that another time, I promise. We need to get to the Western Wall. So let's go ahead and make the right turn here. And there are signs you're seeing above us that are pointing you to the wall. But to be honest with you, they're pretty bad. So it's important to walk around town with someone who is more experienced. Common theme here, yes. Finally, we come out of the market. And now I want to go down this narrow street because we're going to go to this cool lookout I want to show you. It's the Western Wall Lookout. This is your first authentic view of the wall and the Dome of the Rock. Now, as we're looking out over the Western Wall, you're probably noticing a few things. One thing is you're probably seeing all the Jews praying. You'll also notice that there's this division down, uh, coming out of the wall, and it divides the wall into two sections of people. Uh, see, there's, there's a men's section and a women's section. Orthodox Jews actually separate men and women at holy sites and synagogues to eliminate distractions. Maybe you can imagine why. I know I've been to church many times, and, and I would sit behind a couple, and there's nothing wrong with, with sitting with your partner, right? But then all of a sudden, it slowly turns into a distraction. So the Jews have recognized this, the Orthodox Jews at least, and so they have helped to eliminate this by just separating men and women into two groups. And honestly, it does, I can, I can personally attest that it really helps with concentration, which I think you'll get to experience a little bit later. Some of the more liberal sects of Judaism have actually disagreed with this and tried to take down the partition of the wall, but they're always stopped because the Orthodox Jews are stubborn and they're going to get what they want, and that's pretty cool. Okay, so this is a great photo op. So like I said earlier, when you bring your phone, take it out and get some good pictures. And then we're going to walk 
back down uh, to the main area and down some of the steps to actually enter what we call the Western Wall Plaza, which is the Western Wall and then kind of some area outside of it where you can stand. Now we do have to go through a security checkpoint here, so just put your bags through the scanner. Uh, we're going to walk through the metal detector. It's, it's nothing serious. It's just an extra precaution they take. Obviously, we know Israel's very safe, but they, they are careful, which is good. So now, let's step out into the official area of the Western Wall, the holiest site open to Jews today. Obviously, the Temple Mount is the holiest site in all of Judaism. That's the area of the foundation stone where the Jews believe the world was created from. And also the Holy of Holies, the holiest place inside the temple where the high priest went once a year. That's all up there on the Temple Mount. But that's inside the Dome of the, inside the, dome of the Rock, and that's been restricted to, to only Muslims. So we can't go inside of there. The Jews also can't go up there or go inside of there. So the Western Wall really is the closest the Jews can get to their holiest site. And that, that is why it is such a special place and why it's such an honor for us to be here too. You know, one time when I came here, I actually had a friend back home who knew that there were cameras uh, that overlooked the Western Wall, right? You know how there are kind of cameras that are publicly, publicly accessible. And so he actually wanted to coordinate with me so that he could try and see me uh, here on the plaza where we're standing right now. So I put on this bright orange shirt. I told him when I'd be there. Well, he searched on the cameras for me. Unfortunately, didn't quite work out. He took some screenshots, tried to find me. We were unsuccessful. Well, anyways, the Western Wall actually is not an original outer wall of the temple itself. See, it's a retaining wall. The Temple Mount is a man-made platform of sorts. Uh, if you would go under the Temple Mount, you'd see that it's really just a bunch of, uh, of dirt uh, compiled over there over the years. So the retaining wall exists to help make sure everything stays together. King Herod actually built it in 19 BC or so. You also may notice that some of the stones on the top may look different from ones in the bottom. And that is expected, and that's because some of the stones, especially the stones actually below what we see right now, we'll see that in the future, we're actually going to go below the wall. Um, and those are from the time of Herod, but some of the stones on top are even from the Ottoman period. So you really have a conglomeration of time periods all in this wall, which is kind of cool. So like I said, it's not an original wall that would have surrounded the temple up on the Temple Mount, but it is the closest the Jews can be to the Holy of Holies itself. So it's something that's very special. So I'd like you to be able to partake in this. And so I'm going to invite you to do something, praying at the wall. You even may have prepared a little piece of paper uh, that you maybe wrote a prayer on to put in the wall, and, and you can do that. The Jews actually go through and, and clean out those papers just to help the wall uh, stay clean. So they do that about twice a year, and, and those papers are actually buried in the ground because uh, Jewish holy texts and holy, holy books are never just, just burned or thrown away. They're all buried. So who knows? Your paper is going to end up actually one day on the Mount of Olives um, buried up there, which is super interesting. See, I've never actually put a piece of paper with prayer on it in the Western Wall. For some reason, I always just end up praying at the site. Uh, it's such a special place, and it's like something I can't, can't even describe. You're going to experience it very soon. As a Christian, I believe that God's in every aspect of this world and in our lives, right? He has total control. But there is something special about the land of Israel, the land that he promised to his chosen people. Jerusalem, even more so, and the Temple Mount and the Western Wall, well, that, that tops it all. God's presence literally dwelt in the temple right over there. And the Western Wall is as close as we can get to that, to that today. 
you know, the first time I went and prayed at the wall, I was overcome with emotion because I just felt God's presence more than I ever had before. And it was so overwhelming to just reach out and, and, and feel the wall and know what had been there in years past. So let's meet back over here in this corner in 15 minutes. I want you to take the time you need. I'll warn you that it's really crowded at the wall. Many Jews are going to be emotional as they're praying for the return of the third temple and the coming of their Messiah. So just be patient and try to work your way up to the wall and then reach out, touch the wall, and pray. And put your folded piece of paper in there if you'd like. Meet back here in 15 minutes. Okay, I think we're all back together. That was quite an experience, wasn't it? I almost feel like I need a few minutes to reorient myself. Okay, well, for now, we're going to walk over to the left, and we're actually going to continue this tour of the Western Wall by going under it, going into the Western Wall tunnels. But we're out of time for now, so you'll have to tune in next time when we do just that. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we go underneath the wall and unearth some of its secrets and literally travel back in time thousands of years. We're even going to walk in a street that Jesus most likely walked on. And we will go down to the city of David and splash through one of the most fun spots in the entire city. Hezekiah's Tunnel. Make sure you pack your water shoes. See you then on The Virtual Voyage.